0: Testing, testing. Can you hear me, guys? Dave,
1: can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you.
0: Oh, okay, hold on. Let me put my Bluetooth on. But uh, Travis, do you invest? Uh... I've never asked you that question. Do you guys invest in any startups?
1: Uh, <clears throat> you just broke up for a second. Say that one more time.
0: Do you, Do you personally invest, uh, you or your fund, invest in startups?
1: Uh, not any, not really anymore. Um. We raised a venture fund from the existing investors in our hedge fund in the first part of 2022. And then when FTX collapsed, we just gave them all the money back because we just thought it was like kind of messed up to like keep because like every single venture fund investor was also an investor in the hedge fund that was stuck in FTX. So we just thought it was like kind of messed up to like keep their money in the venture fund when we just screwed them over so bad in the hedge fund. So we just, uh, like wound down the venture fund and gave everybody their money back. So have you, have yeah. you
0: thought about, uh, cause that's obviously what, what we invest in heavily. Have you thought about uh, opening one again?
1: Yeah, maybe at some point. Yeah. Maybe at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, Certainly, a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, you know, to you know, invest in vaporware at a very low market cap, It then goes up a lot, and then you can dump it on retail. And <laughs> no.
0: make
2: a lot of money you, you can or that. you
0: can lock it up for a year, two, three years, and then do that. But yeah, what what Travis just for the audience? What Travis report uh, is discussing is uh, mentioning is something we've discussed in previous spaces. Is the model? And by the way, just for the audience, it's repeating itself all over again. The model of investing in startups, but then you get a big unlock at the beginning. You know, larger investors typically don't, and the better the project. You know, we talked about Pixels last week, which were investors in. Um, they had no unlock. They had a, whole, uh, a full one-year lockup. Um, so then that kind of solves that problem to an extent. Um, and we're seeing more long-term lockups for quality projects, but we are seeing a lot of mediocre to crappy projects, you know, desperate for capital. What they do is they give a big unlock to VCs just to be able to raise capital. And what those VCs or KOLs do, uh, is uh, just get a big unlock at the beginning and just dump it on retail. Um, that was very common in the last bull market. And unfortunately it's, uh, it's starting all over again. Um, but yeah, so let, let's kick off the show. I think um, we can't, uh, we're before digging into projects or narratives, the first thing to do is look at the markets. Uh, Peter, you put out a good tweet. I think Rand was talking about it on his show as well. Um, where are you? Peter, did you drop oh, on? No, are you there, Peter? Uh, tell us more about your thoughts on the market. I think your target is up to, from memory, is like 200K, or am I mistaken?
3: Uh, no, that that's that's about right. I I, I, I really suggest that, uh, that folks out there might read a. Uh, a post that I did on uh, the blog, and they can get to the blog through my Twitter uh, page uh, two weeks ago, where I really took a look at halvings, and it was just absolutely remarkable. You know, as I view Bitcoin, we've been through uh, we're in the we're in the fourth major bull market cycle, and in the previous bull market cycles, if you count the time from the low of the cycle which in this case goes back to december 2022 until the having that's the exact amount of time then that should uh, uh, go by us before we see the high of this cycle in September of 2025. And if you look back through past cycles, it's been uncanny that the number of weeks from the low to the halving to the high has been spot on exactly the same in past major Bitcoin bull market cycles. So, you know, that is my key uh, calendar date is we go into the halfing, that'll be halfway through the bull market. And the fact that we thrust up through what I viewed as a channel, a 15-month channel on the charts in the last two days, indicates to me that the market's accelerating at, at a higher rate than I really kind of thought it might have. My target had been 120 to 130 based on a bull market that would go at the same pace we've seen since the lows but it's obvious that the acceleration has now occurred. So I have to up the target. And if you look back at the document that I posted uh, on the blog, uh, I think I lay out the case for why it's 200 now instead of 120.
0: And uh, would you say that the ETF is now the new catalyst? Just gonna give everyone the an update on the numbers. So yesterday's total inflows were 519 million, which is higher than the average. Now, we saw grayscales, the outflows dropped to uh, the lowest they've been. I think the his- historical low of $22 million, that's pretty much it. And then the volume, uh, Rand kind of got excited yesterday talking about the inflows, but it was the volume. Well, the volume did hit a record high yesterday, uh, daily trading volumes at $2.4 billion. Um, and BlackRock's IBIT um, did a volume of $1.3 billion, a 30% and than this previous all-time high. Not pre- higher than the average, higher than the all-time high. So, Peter, and we'll go to to, to the rest of the panel. We've got Travis, William, Dave here. Can we say the ETF now is, is the new narrative, is the new halving, um, and we could see an all-time high, possibly even before? Like I ignored anyone that said we could see an all-time high before the halving even though I'm horrible at speculating and charting. Uh, but then looking at the, the market now, I think Bitcoin's at, what, 57, oh shit, 57.2, uh, ETH is at 3.2. Um, could we see an all-time high even
3: before the halving? Oh, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, the reality is Bitcoin's very unlike an awful lot of markets because there's a limited supply. And You know, there's a certain pace at which new Bitcoins come online. So we have this new demand coming into the market. But the reality is people like yourselves and me, I'm not about to sell my Bitcoin. And so, you know, I'm in Bitcoin for for the longer term. So uh, the ETFs are going to have to bid up the price. And they're in a bit of a pickle now because they have new investors coming in, they have money that they have to apply, they have Bitcoins that they have to buy, and the reality is, as at yesterday's price or last week's price, are not a lot of Bitcoins for sale. So I think they're caught in a bit of a jam where they're going to have to bid the price up. I wouldn't be surprised, though, that we have a temporary or local high coming right into the halving date. Then we could drift, not necessarily big correction, but chop around for a month or two before we get going again. So to some degree, it's going to be a mini by the rumor sell the fact when when. Uh, having takes place, but it's not anything that I'd be willing to sidestep my long position for.
0: So, Dave, just want to add one more thing for you, Travis William. Um We got Eric, our friend, put out a poll saying Bloomberg oh, or Bloomberg was, He predicts that the Bitcoin ETF could pass the gold ETF in assets under management in
1: less than two years. What would that mean for the markets, Peter? Peter, I had a quick question for you. Something you said at the beginning there. You're talking about like the remarkable sort of seasonality or cyclicality of, of, of Bitcoin referring to crypto broadly too. And I know you've been doing this for a long time. Is there any, like analog, is there any comparison to some other asset, financial instrument, a commodity, something like that, that, that has historically moved with some comparable type of You know, just like how strong the seasonality or the cyclicality is to this asset and to this asset class.
3: Yeah, yeah, great question, Trellis. But let me let me just say this. If you you discount some of the other macro cryptos and especially some of the wild and crazy altcoins and so forth, there is no other market in history. And I am a chart addict and look at charts throughout uh, decades and even centuries, periods of time, there's no other market like Bitcoin. I mean, we're in the fifth parabolic advance in Bitcoin's history. On a log scale, you cannot find another market that has done that type of thing. Um, the only other mark, the only other price scale that I can see that's kind of comparable to Bitcoin would be German interest rates in the 1920s.
4: <laughs>
1: Love that, yeah. Because it's it's something that I've talked about before. Of just the, um, I had a tweet thread I put out at the beginning of this month that went super viral. And one of the the concepts I talked about was the strength of the mimetic reflexivity that this meme of three up one down, which kind of refers to Bitcoin and kind of the crypto uh, ecosystems, you know, broad tendency. To be the best, you know, Bitcoin's the best performing asset three years in a row. And then it's the worst performing asset the fourth year. And then it's and then it resets again. And and we're now on like the third full, you know, iteration of this, basically. And that that has created such a strong memetic reflexivity around the market's collective agreement that we are in the good part the meat of the good part of the three up, one down right now. And they're just, it's like, it seems like it's never been stronger because we have now seen it one more cycle play out like that. And then you combine that with these spot Bitcoin ETFs. And then you combine that with, it looks like the Fed is starting an easing cycle. And you combine that with stock markets ripping to, you know, new all time highs consecutively. And there just seems to be such a broad agreement right now, and that's what I was gonna—I was kind of asking you about about like, you know, some of that stuff.
0: Peter, before going to William and and Dave, not sure if your mic is working. Is there anything else to add? Um, any other bits of pieces from your report?
3: Uh no, I mean I think that covers the waterfront because I don't. Really- did you cover? Did you talk?
0: Did you talk on your? I haven't read your report. Did you talk much about Ethereum on your report? No, nah,
3: as you know, I'm kind of a Bitcoin guy and crypto's Bitcoin, Bitcoins crypto. So I uh, didn't talk about Ethereum.
0: But William would love any thoughts you have on the discussion so far, and maybe kind of touching on Ethereum as well. l Altus, uh, the TVL is approaching the thirty billion dollar mark, so it's we'll continue to hit new all time highs. So love your thoughts on the ETH narrative and the ETH ecosystem, um, especially with the upgrade they have in coming. I'm not sure when the upgrade is. William?
4: Yeah, so the, the way I look at it is that there are four things going on right now uh, at the same time in terms, of, uh, in terms of different variables. One, there's the halving. Everybody's talking about the halving. All that means, the halving, is that the block rewards will decrease from 6.25 Bitcoins to 3.125, so half of it. And what this, this means that um, the miners have to make more money, it can be more difficult for them to make money. One way to, they do that is by the price being higher. So we could speculate and say the last four years, the, the average price, let's say was 40. I'm just eyeballing it. So we could look at 80,000 as uh, a price target by the end of the year so that the miners still keep making money. That's my estimate. Number two, you have the ETFs. Okay. Uh, yeah, there was a pop in the last few days, but we're still at very small levels in terms of uh, the Bitcoin uh, inventory. Uh, even at 15000000000 billion, we're still at 2 to 3% levels. It's not too bad, but it's not at the 14% level that it could reach. Thirdly, we have the technicals, all the chartists, the technical people that will look at the chart and say, yeah, based on the charts, based on our experience, it's going to go to this and this and that. It's going to reach the all-time high. I have no doubt we're going to reach the all-time high in the next few days, if not few weeks. That's what the chartists will tell you. And then fourthly, there is reality. <laughs> so the reality in, in, in the crypto world, it tends to to swing like a pendulum. And, and rarely do we have parity in terms of valuations equals reality, uh, especially in emerging markets like uh, the Bitcoin market is, the uh, cryptos are. Uh, so the, the patterns are more erratic. And um, uh, during the during the bear years, like the last couple of years, perhaps, when the SEC was pounding on the industry, we were asking ourselves, uh, even just a few months ago, do we really do this? Uh, no, we didn't. And, and similarly, as now many prices are close to reaching the all-time highs, we need to also ask ourselves, do we really deserve this? So uh, in, in closing, uh, yeah, in part there is some catching up. Uh, so we had to catch up to all these uh, the barriers. Uh, but we also should be careful that if speculative activity is not matched with cryptocurrency or token utility, whatever the levels are that we end up with, it's not going to be sustainable. So we've done a good job as an industry uh, to push speculative activity and that's okay because it funds innovation, but we, shouldn't, uh, we should also keep our eyes on the increased utility and functionality. And I'll close by saying with higher valuations comes higher responsibility.
0: And talking about, William, you said that we could, you know, the chartists would say we'll hit new all-time highs within the next few days. So are we just putting behind us the pre-halving dump? We missed that and and, and that's no longer uh, a possibility, or it's always a possibility. It's no longer likely, in your opinion, William?
4: I mean, it, it, it's all part of the same equation. Um, the the halving is going to push up the prices so that the miners have to keep making money. Um, so it's, it's kind of it's it, it, it and you have to look at it on an average basis so again my the best way i can do it is eyeball the last four years average and project that as what it's going to be and and we go from there
2: okay
5: yeah i think that, that the interesting part is you have to remember u.s is still half the world's investable assets and was only scratching the surface in Bitcoin. And we've had this narrative in the crypto world where you know, people would, would use words like, Bitcoin's the lead sled dog. Bitcoin would, would start a rally. It would then pause as people rotated hot money into altcoins, and Bitcoin would sit there for weeks at a time. And that narrative is, is exactly what went on through all the previous cycles of, of Bitcoin and crypto. And, and some of us kind of, you know, groan because we see Dog with hat going crazy. And you know, before that, it was Shiba or whatever meme coins. And as you put, as someone used the word vaporware projects, I mean, you know, there are still a lot of level ones that have no use case, as far as I could tell, uh, nor prospects for use cases. Yet there are others that have potential, but they're all potential, whereas Bitcoin is a separate thing. Bitcoin is trying to become a store of value. I say trying. It's done a great job of it so far. But critical mass is at a, dram- a dramatically higher price point. But now we have a new world where a lot of investable assets are looking at that. And if you think about it and you listen to Michael Saylor talk or anybody who is you know, a Bitcoin evangelist, they say, well, look, we're going to have a digital store of value that will be the base layer of the Internet of value. And what is the price of Bitcoin at that point? The answer is it starts at where gold is, so it's somewhere between five dollars or 600000 you know, price per Bitcoin, and it ends as the denominator for value on the internet. Now, that's great, except for probabilistically speaking, the market is saying, well, maybe we got a 10% chance of that happening now. Uh, I don't know. And a lot of people who are in Bitcoin, the people who don't want to sell it, us, many of us, are saying, look, we think it's way higher. And so we have the reason the cycle is different is because instead of Bitcoin pausing uh, while money is rotating into into other coins, the money coming from the outside, and the crypto money has paused. And so we see you know everything going up at this point. But you know, look like these things change, right? You know, there will be outflows. Th- this will be volatile, and people should understand that. But at the end of the day. Supply and demand, economics 101 matters, and there's a lot more demand as people are starting to catch on to this narrative than supply. And I'll leave with one thought that I've said before, but I don't think people really, really grok, which is when you compare the state of the network to the previous all-time high to today's pricing, honestly, the state of the network, depending on which metric you use, is anywhere from two to five times stronger in terms of whether it's number of wallets, whether it's hash rate, whether it's you know distribution. It doesn't matter. The network is dramatically higher. And so getting to the previous all-time high, it, to me, is a, is a slam dunk. The real question is, will it get to somewhere the two to five times the previous all-time high, which would basically be the same level of euphoria? And I think that's really what you have to watch out for. Uh,
0: I, I want to go to Matthew. Matthew, I didn't know you are here. You, you changed your profile photo, but it looks like that was a little bit deceiving. Um, I was going through your Twitter before the show, and and then I want to go to Lucas, by the way. I I heard bits and pieces of your interview about DeFi summer, Lucas. But Matthew, you have a a 2 price prediction of 80K for this year and 275K by 2028. Um, We were talking earlier, I think it was yesterday, about institutions are not here. uh, Sorry, retail is not here yet. If you look at other metrics, including us in the media, look at like YouTube views, Twitter space listeners. It does confirm or or does reiterate that, that retail isn't here. We'd love to get your thoughts on how you came up with that prediction of 84K for this year um, and then how we could hit 275K and what that means for the rest of the market outside of Bitcoin.
6: Hey Mario, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, and Peter, I really appreciated your your technical uh, views and, and the paper you you wrote. So so thank you for that. Um, you know our our price target for this year of, of 80k is based on a, a 500% trough to peak return, uh, which you know it would be the smallest cycle return by uh, by a wide margin. The pre- the previous uh, smallest cycle for Bitcoin was 2,000% trough to peak. So we tried to be conservative in That 80K number while recognizing that an all time high is probably likely in Q4. I think that these numbers need a refresh to incorporate the addressable market for Bitcoin layer twos. Uh, That was not in our original work. So our 275K price target is simply half the market cap of gold without incorporating uh, layer two traction. And and I think what we've seen from ordinals uh, over the last year is that, that, and from stacks performance, frankly, the last week is that the Layer 2 ecosystem is much more vibrant than people expected, and Ethereum's roadmap has paradoxically maybe lessened the differentiation uh, between Bitcoin. Uh, So, the other thing I'd say is that we've just reached 90% of UTXOs in profitability. I looked back at the history of that series. Basically, every time we hit 90%, we tend to hit 100%. So, I'm, I'm not against this idea of an accelerated cycle and possible all-time high pre-having although that would be you know contrary to past cycles the other thing i'd point out is that um, eth is now up more than bitcoin year to date uh, so this has been a very uh, i think fundamentally driven large cap driven market uh, large caps are up 31% this month small caps are up like 22% uh, and you know that that's how we've been positioned. Is that uh, Bitcoin dominance tends to rise uh, into the having. We're at fifty-two percent right now. We were at sixty-two percent uh, when we hit the having last time. Uh, so you know, on the lookout for overextension. But I, I think you you play the momentum here. I'm I'm with Peter. Um, you know, stick with large caps.
0: solana Ron, we experienced as well. We've talked a lot about l2s and solana Um, So I'd love to get your thoughts on L1s as well with ETH, uh, with the ETH ETF narrative.
6: Uh, Yeah, I put out a... a a Twitter thread on De- December 23rd last year, which pretty much was the pico bottom for the ETH BTC ratio, and um, you know rotated into into ETH for the first half of this year, uh, expecting a better narrative on the ETF. Uh, I just saw today the Denkun hard fork went live on Testnet. Um, A16Z just made a hundred million dollar investment into EigenLayer. Uh, I think that is a key enabler of ETH. Leverage for this cycle, which will come from retail and on-chain, uh, rather than from like institutional OTC providers, most of whom went bankrupt. Uh, although we're we're seeing the you know the emergence of uh, of some of that bankruptcy as well here
0: and any specific narratives uh, that are interesting to you matthew like the, the ones we've talked we've talked a lot about ai recently um i try to always sneak in gaming whenever possible i want to do a gaming space soon uh, we're going to have uh, uh, lucas talk about DeFi summer 2.0 any specific narratives that interest you
6: i agree with you that the gaming environment is getting more constructive um there I- it, I, I don't want to name names because these are these are small cap tokens but we're we're noticing uh, more attractive game launch calendar and uh, s- some more momentum in that space so we've increased our allocation to gaming tokens uh, over the last month you
0: can you can mention you can you can mention token names if you like Matthew as long, if you're invested in them you definitely if you can mention them and say you know we're, 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 we're investors if you like
6: I'm gonna let them run Can a little bit you? more. <laughs> okay, no
0: problem. No worries. <laughs> well, I, I'll mention one that we're excited for is Portal Coin. I think everyone knows about Portal Coin launching on Binance gaming ecosystem. Um, so we're investors in that. Um, if anyone wants, they want something to watch. For, for this week, I think they launched in two days. They got 8.5 billion dollars staked, and um, we're investors. Uh, we're heavily, you know, pretty much any gaming project that's launching now, we're investors. Um, but we haven't touched any other not AI. We're invested, but we haven't we haven't done much in the deep in ecosystem. Your thoughts on that, Matthew? Uh,
6: we like Helium and Hive Mapper, and have put out research on on both of those projects. Uh, I noticed that Helium had a a, a high in new subscribers yesterday. Uh, so you know, we think they're doing a good job of differentiating uh, through the through the crypto rewards. Uh, and then Mappers had some uh, pretty impressive dash cam updates that make it much easier to sync and start mapping immediately without a bunch of different clicks. Like the amount of time I've had to spend on my smartphone, calibrating it to the high, to the HiveMapper dash cam has fallen dramatically uh, in the last couple of quarters. Now it just syncs and goes. Uh, and you, you can see from their kilometers mapped that uh, others are finding this as well because that has accelerated. Uh, also, like I don't, I'm not sure that that's exactly where the beta is right now um, because of the the Bitcoin momentum. So you know these are these are small positions. Um, like in my strategy, it's 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 like 80% L1s and then 20% uh, L2s and DApps and and Deepin
0: you jump in before we go to Lucas and just what about, Andrew guys in the audience uh, I've got two questions for the audience I'm going through the comments one is there anyone that still thinks we could see a, a dump before we hear and I'm talking about dumping a 20-30% uh, drop before we see all-time highs um, or is everyone just bullish because it seems like there's extreme greed the leverage is, is just spiking right now and then the other question is what narratives um, are interesting for everyone in the audience what do you think we should talk about Andrew would love to get your thoughts um, and then we'll go to Lucas to talk about the
7: I don't think that the, the pre having dump is a previous cycle narrative. And let me tell you why. Um, the Bitcoin ETF demand on an hourly, daily, weekly basis is fundamentally changing price action um, with Bitcoin in particular. Um, when you have volumes um, that, you know, 30, 45 days out are, are setting new highs. Um, past an enormous, you know, not just marketing, but just market understanding of the launch of an ETF, probably the most followed launch of an ETF in in a decade um, with the Bitcoin ETFs and to set a new record in volumes yesterday versus um, what it looks like the the first day. That's a remarkable development and that goes to demand associated. Um, with with these Bitcoin ETFs, that that kind of demand, the inflows that continue at a very very robust pace, Order. and oh by the way, um, this is all with a backdrop of grayscale and grayscale holders dumping Bitcoin onto the market over the last forty five days, every single day, right? So that demand, the the, the that particular supply coming. Uh, on the market is immediately scooped up. Price has shown us that every time there's a dip, it's being eaten alive by the Bitcoin ETFs. So, the idea that we should expect a pre-having dump, I just think the narratives have changed. I think the evolution of price action has changed. Um, and again, there will be continual evolutions of price action because we've only got 20 to 30% um, of at least here in the US of folks in the retail space being able to to buy these bitcoin etfs so i think the pre having dump narrative <clears throat> i think that's different than it has been pre uh, what what about the what, what about and uh... Uh, go ahead, Matthew. I, I was just gonna that
6: say that I, I I totally agree. We just went back and looked at the last three halvings with a fine-tooth comb on price action and a number of on-chain metrics. And um, the the halving price dump is, is kind of a myth. What does tend to happen with good regularity is a hash rate dump. So the hash rate has fallen between 12 and 19 percent in the uh, two weeks leading into the having and then the immediately after, and then it tends to make an all-time high within three weeks of the having. And there's no meaningful pattern to derive uh, from the from the price action. So agree with uh, with Andrew there.
7: The other item, and I don't know if this is something that we're going to talk about more in detail as this spaces go along. Or if it deserves its own individual spaces, and I know that the community has talked a lot about the Ethereum uh, ETF. Um, I'm just going to add, and people have seen it on my um, some of my posts. There are people inside of these, um, you know, ETF companies. Uh, people, some people that um, were part of seeding the Bitcoin ETFs. People in the legal community. Um, there, those insiders, um, several that I've talked to, um, and people on the Coinbase side, Jane Street side, so these are people that are actually handling the volume on a daily basis, custody partners, um, they're fairly negative uh, about an Ethereum ETF approval in May. Uh, I know that's kind of the first date that it's going, you know, potentially could happen and, and, and all of those things. But I've asked this question nearly every week. Um, of some of my contacts, people very, very close—you know, people that were on the floor of, uh, you know, the New York Stock Exchange went at the launch of BlackRock's, you know, Bitcoin ETF. So standing shoulder to shoulder with the folks that you know architected that entire thing. Um, fairly negative on an approval of an Ethereum ETF um, in May. You know where it goes from there, how that plays out, what kind of delays potentially the FCC uses. The other point of interest that I've asked many, many times, and I keep getting the same answer, there is not a significant appetite uh, for any of these uh, applicants for the Ethereum ETFs to sue the SEC. Uh, The grayscale suit was a one-off, it was fantastic, it worked, all of those things, but um, individual companies are not in the habit um, of suing their regulator um but, can't, but why is that andrew
0: is isn't and um uh, excuse my ignorance from a legal perspective but the grayscale
7: win can't they act in some way as a precedent and make it easier for ETFs? that 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 narrative does exist that is a reality that, that that's that's i'm not uh, allowing that reality to take a back seat but that doesn't mean that the sec can do effectively whatever it wants Right. Until you decide, you know, the SEC is going to say, OK, we, we, we've made it clear in our statements that we weren't even completely on board with Bitcoin ETFs, but we did it anyways. Right. It was a three to two vote, by the way. It wasn't a five zero vote. So one vote that flips and you're toast. Right. So I've asked these questions. I've asked that question, Mario, you know, 15 different times. And I still keep getting the long-form answer from legal folks in this space that's saying, listen, Gensler has has effectively kind of given his answer on this. Um, Bitcoin ETFs are it for right now. Uh, The length of space between now and when an Ethereum ETF gets uh, approved, I think ultimately it does happen. I just think it's a longer tail based on the conversations i keep having than than people think i don't think in may uh, i don't think it happens um based on based on what i've been told over and over and over again
0: uh, dave before i ask my next yeah. question which is going to be about the uh, could we see a shorter bull cycle now during that we didn't experience a pre-having dump or the myth of a pre-having dump um, that's my next question before going to Lucas afterwards. Yeah, state. So, and Lucas, you can jump in any time, by so, the way. So, so let me answer both
5: questions. Uh, on, ET- on the Ethereum ETF, I actually have a uh, conspiracy theorist opinion. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Ethereum ETF approved, but <laughs> – huge but, actually. Uh, I would be stunned if they approved it with staking. And why, why do I say this? Well, because an Ethereum ETF without staking, I think, would be a failed product as opposed to a successful product. Because at the end of the day... Uh, unlike the Bitcoin ETF, where you hold the Bitcoin ETF and you look at the spreads, they're a penny, you don't pay anything to trade, you know, it's it's dramatically cheaper for people to be able to, to buy and exit uh, than buying or selling, you know, Bispot Bitcoin on exchanges if you're retail because of the way the fees are. So, the, the, there's there's no, the, and the fees for holding are, are smaller than the, than the fees for that you pay in commission by a lot. So, unless you're going to trade, you know, unless you're going going to hold for, you know, five years and you know that up front, you're, you're pretty much better off with the ETF if you're just an individual in the U.S. And so that's what's going to happen. With Ethereum, you're giving up the entire staking reward. And so my conspiracy theorist hat says Gensler is not dumb. He's actually a very smart man. If he wants to see a crypto product fail, then approve it and let it fail. Uh, and, and the industry needs to understand that, because if you look at the Ether Futures product, it, it did not do very well right? You know, it's it's there, it exists, but it was hardly the rousing success that people were expecting or hoping for. And so that on the th- the ETF, I mean, I do agree with the previous speaker that the most likely scenario is they find a way to kick the can, but uh, be aware that there is that in-between scenario. And so people should understand that. Now That doesn't mean, I still think the, the bigger story in Ether is the upcoming, uh, you know, basic upgrade. The what's the... Upgrade.
0: What, what's the- Yeah, can can you talk about that upgrade I'm just going to give an overview for the audience, and what's the date for the? Update?
5: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not directly in the weeds. I'm just I'm relying on smarter people that I listen to on your spaces and others. Uh, but basically, the issue is obvious uh, to the extent that that Ethereum, you know, needs to compete with Solana for speed of you know transactions, mm. etc. Facilitating layer 2s to be able to do so in a very very consistent in a very consistent way is part of it. But I am far from an expert there. But I want to go back to your pre. Dumping your pre your pre having thing, I, I, and I'll basically condition it with an if. If we don't see a major sell off in risk assets in March, then I think you are you're not going to see a major you know a major dump pre having. However, I think that it is when people start paying the tax bills or you know which generally happens the back half of March. Uh, for the immense capital gains they made last year uh, in, in and I'm talking in tech stocks, et cetera, you could see a bit of a route in risk assets. And if that happens, you know, now you have a lot of new holders of Bitcoin by the ETF and very, you know, aggressive spreads where you could trade it cheaply. The ETF can become a double-edged sword in periods of volatility. So be aware of that. It is certainly possible.
0: everyone. I, I, I. Everyone loves the ETF now, but I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to count down to the day where everyone's complaining about the ETF. Uh,
5: oh yeah, but I mean, look, on balance, you know, long term, it's driving adoption, which is driving, you know, most of our, you know, look, I've said the, the all-time high is baked in the cake. I agree with the previous guy. I think we get to digital gold status. We have a far higher likelihood than the markets pricing. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, you know, it, I, there's a great meme out there where, you know, I, I didn't invent it, you know, the one where it says the top half is what people think hodling is like. And it's a straight line from low price to some high price of the moon and what it's actually like. And there's like these cliffs and, you know, you know whole, you know, pits with stakes in them and all sorts of crap to get there. And, and the fact is, is markets are tend to humble traders. So anyone who gets too confident, too over leveraged, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I look at the fact that perpetual swap funding rates are triple what they were last week, and that's a, it's a yellow sign. It's not a red sign, but it's a yellow sign. I mean, it could stay that way for a few weeks. I look at the fact that the CME futures are trading at premiums double what they were two weeks ago uh, in in basis point level. And, and as a result, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of froth here. That doesn't mean that you're going to get a dump, but it does mean that a pullback seems somewhat likely. Unless you keep getting new demand every single day, and that's what people are looking at.
7: Yeah, I can see
0: peak greed. I'm going to go to you, Lucas. I saw you on mute when we were talking about the ETH upgrades, and, and I'm just going through the comments. Definitely peak, uh, uh, peak euphoria right now. I haven't seen one comment yet of someone that thinks we will not see, we'll see a dump, or we won't see an all-time high for at least at the end of the year,
8: as you mentioned, Siegel.
0: Um, but let's go. Lucas, I uh, would love to get your thoughts on the upgrade, what that means for Ethereum L2s, and what that means for competitors like Solana.
1: Yeah,
8: definitely. So thanks
0: for having me. Uh, Lucas, is your mic working? I don't know. Can anyone can, hear Lucas? Is it a glitch again? Can you guys not hear me?
1: Yeah, we can hear him. And Mario, uh, I think cool. your, your, your
2: mic's a bit Absolutely. off, Mario.
0: Uh, I'll drop and come back. Travis, I'll, I'll give you the mic. I'll be back. All right. All right.
8: Lucas, you can go ahead. Yeah, you guys can hear me, right? Um, yeah. Awesome. So uh, with regards to the Dankun upgrade, uh, that's the largest Ethereum upgrade um, since the Chapelle upgrade, which enabled withdrawals in Ethereum staking. This one is more focused on layer 2s. So the main uh, update that it will bring is EIP 4844, also known as protodank sharding. Uh, and what that will enable is a massive cost reduction for layer 2s by essentially uh, making data storage a lot more efficient. Uh, And in short, that's how it's going to work. And it's expected to realize uh, 10x cost reduction for layer twos. Uh, And so that is expected to bring a large improvement in utility. So uh, transacting on Ethereum L2s will be significantly cheaper than it is now. Uh, It will still be more expensive than in Solana. Uh, That being said, uh, a lot of layer twos are more liquid and have uh, more activity uh, than Solana, especially Arbitrum, in terms of liquidity. So for DeFi applications, for instance, it could be uh, a good uh, enabler um, to have more retail users participate there in, in layer twos. Um, and it's expected to create competition. Uh, creating a layer two right now, it's easier than it's ever been. I think we see one pop up uh, every week or so now. Uh, you can do so within a few clicks using Conduit. Um, so I think that's likely to accelerate even further after this. Uh, and at the end of the day, since it creates economic activity on top of Ethereum, uh, it's likely to be a very bullish long-term catalyst. Uh, I don't expect it to materialize right away. It's not like you're going to have 10x the amount of transactions and volume right after the the upgrade. But over time, it should bring that uh, mass adoption and and utility uh, beyond you know just holding the asset, it should bring a lot more activity uh, on chain. So it's uh, quite bullish for the long term.
0: Yeah, Lucas, you did uh, do an interview with, um, I can't remember her name. Uh, It was, oh, it was uh, 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 Shangu, I think it was, um, talking about DeFi Summer 2.0. Maybe give us an update. That's that's one ecosystem that I have pretty much very little exposure to relative to others. Maybe give an overview on why you bullish DeFi
8: and what you expect to see. Definitely. Yeah. So, DeFi uh, essentially has been undergoing a bit of a resurgence. Um, It took a beating like the whole space in 2022, but the blue chip protocols, you know, like Aave, Compound, Uniswap, Curve, they were able to withhold, you know, to sustain all of the issues that uh, FTX and some of the centralized lenders endured. So it actually performed a lot better, uh, and it's been seeing a resurgence. I think there's a case to be made for an on-chain credit boom. It's already begun. You know, the amount of borrows in DeFi is at its highest since uh, May 2022, uh, and I think that's likely to continue to grow. One thing that is uh, often underappreciated um, by the people that have been long in the space, um, and it took myself to, it took me a bit to get around it, is points. So points has, has been, you know, uh, an idea to get retail mostly initially to deposit into a protocol and get exposure to a future airdrop. And with markets that are pricing these points like Pendle and Wales markets, you can now have an, a good understanding of where the markets are projecting that airdrop to be worth. And, and that essentially creates the opportunity for people to price those in advance. So for instance, Eigenlayer, the largest points uh, program going on, is expected to be about 30 to 40% APY on 9 billion in deposits, which is uh, essentially about a 3 billion, uh, 2.7 to 3 billion airdrop, largest in history that's being priced in. Uh, And essentially this creates, since you you have markets pricing that in, it it allows people to uh, bet on that in advance. So we've seen ETH borrows increase likely because people are borrowing ETH and putting it here. With Athena, we're seeing a similar thing now that they launched Mainnet and, and their shards. So I think that demand for leverage will only continue to grow. You know, we're seeing borrower rates increase across the board. And uh, I think this is likely to continue, especially if we go beyond all time highs and people uh, start looking for leverage on top of their assets. So so yeah, in short, I think it should be a year of acceleration for DeFi uh, and a lot of the on-chain ecosystem. Yeah, I'm
0: just reading here an article. I've got, yeah, go ahead, uh, Travis.
1: Yeah, I've got a question that I want to I pose to uh, the folks on stage. we got some TA guys here. We've got you know, different types of ecosystem participants on stage right now. So Bitcoin's up 34% year-to-date. ETH is up 41% year-to-date. Why is ETH outperforming BTC year-to-date? That's my question. And I'll withhold my answer. I don't want to like jump the shark here, but I'm just curious what how other people would answer the question that in light of spot Bitcoin ETFs and many, many billions of dollars of inflows into spot Bitcoin ETFs that have exceeded you know everybody's expectations except you know maybe the absolute most bullish expectations that has exceeded you know 90% of people's expectations and yet okay. ETH is outperforming BTC year to date. Why is hey that? Travis, it's,
2: uh, Bilo. it's a great question. I think it has everything to do with the ETF anticipation. You saw the same thing happen with Bitcoin before the ETFs got a, approved. The anticipation of an ETF drove Bitcoin. If you look at the Bitcoin, the, the ETH/Bitcoin chart. You'll see that that took a nosedive while, uh, obviously, Bitcoin was going up due to the anticipation. Now that the Bitcoin ETF is approved and there's, you know, decent hope for an ETF uh, approval on Ethereum, I think you're seeing the same thing happen and a lot of that money going into Ethereum in that um, hope and anticipation for that approval. Um, I won't say... You know, if Ethereum is going to yield the same result as Bitcoin once it does finally get approved, because I don't think so, we can have this discussion another time. But to answer your question, I think it's purely ETF anticipation. Vinny, I'm going we'll go to take the other side of that.
8: Yeah, but let, me,
6: let me let me go to Vinny, Vinny Matthew, and then
0: we'll go to you, Matthew, and then we'll go with Liam. Uh, Vinny, go ahead.
9: Yeah, I think it was, uh, Travis, from my side, I think the, the market front ran the ETF end of last year. And, you know, the odds of an a, a Ethereum approval was hinging on the BTF approval, a BTC approval first. So you basically had to cross that threshold before the funds are flowing in Ethereum. So it happened to be, I think, 8th of uh, Jan or whatever, the first week of Jan, where it actually was approved. And then so the, the money will now chase after ETH afterwards because BTC was priced in I, I don't hear at the end of last
2: year.
0: Can you guys hear me? Yeah, everyone can hear. Uh, one one speaker couldn't. Uh, removed him. Go ahead, Vinny.
9: Okay, that's fine. Yeah, so, so, so Travis, that, that was my take. Is it just uh, it was just literally like a calendar year timing issue, uh, and and you had to get the you know the funds had to flow into Bitcoin for the ETF approval threshold first, and then it switched over
6: to ETH. Yeah, I'm going to take the other side of that. I mean, I think the ETF has helped, but there, like, look at the chain. The last week. ETH supply is annualizing at a negative uh, 50 basis points. So, supply is shrinking at an annualized rate of, of half a percent a year. That that was That's versus an average of 20 basis points since the merge. So, the deflationary impact has doubled in the last week. We've got the a, a record level of ETH that's either locked in staking pools, uh, in smart contracts, or on layer twos, a record low percentage of ETH on exchange. So, there's a lack of liquidity. You've got this staking narrative, which really reduces the speed to market for infrastructure services while increasing just how attractive it is to stake in general. Uh, return of DeFi 1.0. Uniswap proposing the fee switch. Uh, Ethereum back now above 50% market share of Layer 1 blockchain revenues. Launch of Polygon Ag Layer. Uh, you know brings hopes of unified liquidity for for zero knowledge L2s. And then Dancun three weeks away. So you know the ETF hopes it, it helps, but there is fundamental okay. momentum on the ETH blockchain, and you can contrast that quite clear. Uh, versus Bitcoin, which in the last month, uh, daily transactions down, inscriptions down sharply, transaction fees down, uh, you know, th- there's been a divergence here in BTC between the speculative activity and the on-chain activity. That has not necessarily been the case in ETH.
0: I agree. Go um, William.
4: Yeah, I just want to say two things. One, the one of the reasons that uh, Ethereum might be, that the reason why the price has been going up is also the staking ratios. The staking ratios re- have reached about 25% right now. That means that's the amount of Ethereum that's being locked up in staking contracts. And that's been going up steadily. So it's not just only the Ethereum ETF speculation. Uh, it is also the staking ratios that will also continue to increase. Uh, over time. I want to say two more things. I think it's a misnomer uh, to say that Solana is competing with Ethereum based on speed or transaction costs. Uh, Ethereum has network effects that Solana can only aspire to reach uh, currently. And I'm, I'm bullish on both chains. This is not meant to be a ding on Solana. They are very different. Um, so that's, I wanted to kind of say that. The second thing is somebody said what happens if there is an Ethereum ETF and the effect on price. In my opinion, it might have more of an effect on price than it did uh, than it does for, for Bitcoin because Ethereum has a lot more utility than Bitcoin today. From an end-user perspective, from a usage perspective, Ethereum is in many, many, many more apps. Uh, so if, if more Ethereum is going to get locked up in ETFs, in addition to what's getting locked up in the staking contract, then there's going to be a lot less Ethereum in the market. And uh, so finally, definitely, the next upgrade is going to uh, make fees even cheaper than they are in L2, in the L2 level, not only uh, at the uh, at the native L1 level.
0: That's it. And Travis, you haven't given us your answer.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I I, I I posed the question was because it seems like there's still very broad disagreement about um, whether or not we're going to get spot ETFs or, or, or maybe over what time frame. Um, there's some people, you know, I don't think there's too many people circled up around the May date. I think, you know, the over under is probably the August date. Um, but there's still plenty of folks that think it's like, not gonna happen this year. There's plenty of folks that think it's not gonna happen under Gary Gensler's watch. Um, so there's still broad disagreement there, which uh, you know, I think if ETH is outperformed year to date, outperformed BTC year to date with that much disagreement around the spot ETF, if it is the spot ETH ETF that's driving price action, that would tell me that there's still a lot of meat left on the bone for ETH BTC outperformance. That's kind of kind of my first comment. Um, I think that some of the technical upgrades, um, I think those do matter some as well too. But the final point that I want to make, which I think is kind of a, a meta point around this, is that perhaps ETH BTC is outperforming because now is the time that ETH BTC outperforms. And what I mean by that is just like going back to the reflexivity, the memetic reflexivity around these four-year cycles in general, and the fact that it does seem like we're, we're so far kind of seems like we're pulling the cycle forward that people have been calling this a left-translated cycle. Um, that you know, 2023 was better performance in 2019. That you know, at least so far, you haven't had the big pre halving pullback that you've seen people are legitimately talking about hitting new all-time highs prior to the halving. We've never had that before. If I recall last cycle, the having happened, I don't know, price was probably 8,000, $8, 9,000 bucks. I don't have a chart in front of me, but um, you know, less than half of prior all-time highs and you didn't get new all-time highs until six months after the halving. And people are, you know, and I think people are making a a valid case that you could see new all-time highs prior to the having this cycle. So you're having this left translated. So if if it is this kind of left translated cycle, then that means that like now's about the time for BTC to outperform. And that there's this sort of shelling point around that because we've seen it multiple cycles before. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, it it is a a point of contention for sure. uh, When it comes to Ethereum, I mean, so, so, so. Th- think about the narrative before the uh, ETF approval. Okay, there was a split there too, in the community was it a, a, a buy the news or sorry buy the rumor, sell the news? You're and talking, then everybody,
0: you're talking about the Bitcoin. You're yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, I'll bring it back to the ETH. So, you know, no, a lot of people were saying that it was a buy the rumor, sell the news, and you see, as soon as it got approved, we dumped and 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 so on and so forth. But, um. The fact is look at where we are okay look, look at the price of Bitcoin. It has in for all intents and purposes um, destroyed all previous cycle kind of behavior as far as I could tell and I've been looking at this for a while and I'm a chart guy and and it just does not at all in any way shape or form follow past cycle behavior and and the only reason I can attribute attribute to this is, the actually, the ETFs, I mean, all this onboarding of liquidity, um, buying up, um, you know, the, the Bitcoin causing that supply shock, and with the halving coming up, that that's only going to, you know, get more interesting. So I, I can't, I'm not saying there are no other good things going on for Ethereum. But if I was an investor, and I am, and I looked at what happened with Bitcoin, and assuming I, I say, okay, th- this should play out the same way. I don't think so. And I have my reasons for it. But Let's just go down that that line of thought. And, and I said, okay, it's going to play out the same way. It's almost like a roadmap to what's to come. So buy Ethereum, mm-hmm. um, wait for the approval, and Ethereum is going to moon. I mean, this is what everybody let me, sees.
0: Let, let me end the show with one last question I'll ask Matthew. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, do you think the narrative of this bull market uh, being shorter than others, considering that we, we we could reach all-time highs prior to the halving? Um, your thoughts on, on that uh, possibility?
6: I don't think that necessarily makes the bull market shorter. It just may front load part of the gains. Uh, we I don't think we've ever had a, a down year for Bitcoin in the year after the halving. That's when Bitcoin dominance tends to fall and altcoins uh, tend to outperform. Um, I, I would have to see something change uh, to say it's going to be an abbreviated bull market.
0: Uh, Vinny, that same question to you.
9: Um, you yeah. know. I I I I handicap that he's probably eighty percent right, ninety percent right. There's always an outside chance that it doesn't happen, um, and so I would say the first major resistance point for me is getting past the sixty-eight to eighty k range, which um, you know it's never happened before. But if you if 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 Bitcoin maintains that level, because we've had it, we also had a double top, if you remember, in twenty twenty one, and. We've never broken past that range the second time. Well, the second time we didn't get past it. And now we're going for a third time. And I I just think there's a 10%, 20% chance that that is a very, very high level of resistance getting to that magic 100K number. And if that happens and we can't break past that resistance, we're going to go down again and retest. And it could be like some sort of a triple top formation. Peter's more the technician here. He could probably weigh in. But I I see there's a 20% chance that something weird like that happens.
0: Peter, um, same question to you. Um, and then we'll wrap up the show.
3: Okay, question just dealing with – help me define it. I didn't catch exactly what
0: was. Yeah, of course. No no problem. Do you think, considering that we could reach all-time highs prior to the halving and and the inflows we're seeing from the ETFs, could this bull market um, be shorter than previous ones?
3: No, I don't believe so. I I think if you go by past cycles, again – Having will be pretty much exactly the halfway point between what we had as lows and what we'll have as uh, eventual highs. So, you no, know, I, I think the bull market will continue to chug along for uh, really more than a year and a half here.
0: Nice. Cool. Well, on that note, on that positive note, we'll wrap up the show. We'll see everyone again tomorrow. I'm not sure if Scott can join tomorrow I know Ran is joining. I'm not sure what the topic will be, but otherwise, appreciate the panel's great discussion. Thanks, everyone.